This is American Hysteria's Aftershock, where I share with you a story that didn't make it into the main episode. I'm your host, Chelsea Weber-Smith, and today we're talking about parrot fever. In December of 1929, an American family, like most others, had fallen on hard times doled out by the Great Depression as jobs were scarce and so was food and other resources. Simon Martin still wanted to make sure his wife felt special on Christmas. A pet parrot seemed to be bright, both of color and fun, and he merrily purchased one for her from his local pet store. That winter morning, warm by the fire, his wife Lillian went to open her gift— As she pulled the paper back on the large cage, she could see the parrot there, but something was wrong. The parrot was dead, a stiff pile of feathers at the bottom of the cage. I imagine it felt something like this clip from Dumb and Dumber that I feel I have to play. I've had it with this dump! We got no food, we got no jobs, our pet's heads are falling off! I'm I'm really sorry about that. Anyway... It wasn't long before Lillian, their daughter, and son-in-law all started coming down with some kind of sickness, showing symptoms commonly associated with pneumonia and even typhoid. In the meantime, Simon, who happened to be the secretary of the Annapolis Chamber of Congress, took it upon himself to investigate the issue of this very dead parrot. He returned to the pet store to tell them what had happened, and the shop owner offered him a replacement parrot. Simon said, no thank you. A doctor was called on January 6th to examine the Martin family, and when he learned of the dead parrot, he suddenly recalled an article he had recently read in a newspaper about an outbreak of parrot fever, or its technical name, psittacosis, in Europe and South America. The doctor sent a telegram to Washington, D.C., requesting that medicine be sent to Maryland to cure the afflicted, and within two days, the government had mobilized. Scientists and doctors were sent from Washington's hygienic laboratory, including Charles Armstrong, who was selected to handle this investigation to determine how widespread the outbreak had become and how best to contain it. Armstrong started with the pet shop where Simon Martin had bought his parrot. Determining how many parrots the shop had sold that holiday season, Armstrong began the process of tracking down all 36 birds and all the people that had come in contact with them. As he went along, he discovered that several of the parrots were sick, and at the same time, four employees from the pet shop began exhibiting symptoms just like the Martin family. Likely overwhelmed with the potential of this contagion, Armstrong decided that the best course of action would be to send telegrams to health departments all over the United States with hope of getting some more information about the spread of the outbreak. But in spreading awareness of the problem, you guessed it, Armstrong inadvertently spread panic. Almost overnight, the media got wind of the outbreak of parrot fever, and by the 8th of January, newspapers all across the United States featured headlines like, Parrot Disease Baffles Experts. The Associated Press forebodingly called it a, quote, new and mysterious enemy. Newspapers across the country published theories alongside death tolls. The New York Times reported a total of seven deaths, though none of the listed deaths had autopsy results to prove the cause. 
More cases were suddenly reported hundreds of miles away in Toledo, Ohio. The death of anyone who had even the loosest ties to any parrot was reported as a death by parrot fever in the newspapers. Quote, if you have a darling pet parrot, do not bury your nose or mouth in its pretty feathers or stroke the parrot and afterward put your hand to your mouth, warned Arthur Brisbane in his nationally syndicated editorial column. And various forms of advice were given to those who owned pet parrots, including sending the birds to a zoo, wringing their necks, or simply just abandoning them in the street. The panic even went beyond the U.S. shores when a U.S. Navy admiral ordered sailors to throw their pet parrots overboard. Dead parrots were exhumed and mailed to Washington. An embargo was placed on all pet parrots being imported into the United States, and the newspapers ran with it. But as soon as the panic formed, it seemed to go away. Autopsies showed that none of the seven deaths on record had been caused by psittacosis, and afflicted members of the Martin family were already recovering. The media backpedaled, and on January 15th, they changed their tune. The Chicago Daily Tribune's headline read, quote, U.S. alarm over parrot disease not warranted. Newspapers quickly switched from printing panicked reports of parrot fever to making light of it. But of course, very few retracted their previous claims. Some blamed the media for the panic and others blamed the doctors. But the American consensus became that parrot fever was a joke and a made-up illness altogether. But all the while, Charles Armstrong was still fervently researching psittacosis in the basement of the hygienic laboratory, and by February, he and several other scientists had fallen ill. When his lab assistant, Shorty Anderson, died, Armstrong figured it was time to check himself into a hospital, where he was reported to have a fever of 104 degrees. You ever notice how finding time and energy to do the most basic human necessity, eat literal food, has become just another exhausting task jammed into our increasingly inhuman schedules? Well, your spring can be a little more stress-free with Factor. Factor will provide you with delicious, never-frozen, ready-to-eat gourmet meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Each week, you get to choose from a menu of 35 options to create your perfect breakfast, lunch, or dinner with absolutely no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. And Factor makes sure you get exactly what you want. You can tailor deliveries to your schedule and customize how many meals you want each and every week and you can pause anytime so just head to factormeals.com slash american hysteria 50 and use code american hysteria 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20 percent off your next box that's code american hysteria 50 at factormeals.com slash american hysteria 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Check out Factor today. By March, nine additional employees of the hygienic laboratory had gotten sick with psittacosis, and George McCoy, the director of the hygienic laboratory, decided it was time to evacuate the building. With Armstrong appearing to be near death, McCoy took a leap and injected him with the blood of a patient that had contracted psittacosis and survived. It seemed to work as Armstrong's condition improved. McCoy then went into the basement where Armstrong had worked and killed all the lab birds, rats, and monkeys with chloroform. 
He then incinerated their bodies before sealing the building and calling in a team to fumigate it with cyanide, effectively ending the psittacosis outbreak. In May of 1930, in recognition of their response to the outbreak, Congress awarded the Hygienic Laboratory with increased funding and a new name, the National Institute of Health. Fortunately, it didn't take long before it became apparent that only those who came in very close contact with parrots were at risk, and the actual number of cases was very, very small. They figured out that humans couldn't pass it on to each other. You just had to be around a sick bird. It was believed that a large portion of the ill were elderly women, both because of their age, but also because of a popular trick that many women seemed to teach their parrots, to pluck seeds from between their lips or teeth. If that's not close contact with a sick bird, I don't know what is. Charles Armstrong went on to make a full recovery and finished his report on the outbreak. In total, Armstrong reported 69 confirmed cases of psittacosis in the United States and 33 deaths. To this day, there's still controversy over how many reported cases of parrot fever were genuine and how many were merely the result of a kind of math suggestion, a mini-hysteria of anyone who had a parrot and felt the faintest bit odd. We are certainly a people of extremes. It seems we often choose mass panic or mass denial, and parrot fever is a perfect example of this motivation to act immediately out of fear or bulk at anyone who could have been afraid in the first place. When, of course, we felt the twinges of panic in our stomachs, too. It's embarrassing to be afraid, and it was clear by the media's response that they didn't want to be the ones freaked out for no reason. But psittacosis actually existed, and in 1929 it would kill 20% of those who contracted it. So making fun of it and acting like it was just a hysteria really wasn't the right response either. But of course, neither was hysteria, because you probably weren't going to get parrot fever unless you were letting a bird take stuff out of your mouth. In the case of parrot fever, and in the case of most things, the truth was somewhere in the middle. You can still get psittacosis to this day, but it's very easy to treat. And now, for your listening pleasure, here's a parrot I found on YouTube cackling wildly. (laughs) (laughs) The Aftershock is written, produced, and hosted by me, Chelsea Weber-Smith. Co-written and researched by Riley Smith, assistant produced by Derek Smith, and produced and edited by Clear Camo Studios. Thank you for listening to the Aftershock this week. Next week's episode is going to be on celebrity culture, and it's turning out pretty weird. I think you're going to like it. I hope you all have a great week, and if I can give you one piece of advice to follow, it is do not let a parrot eat anything out of your mouth. But also, if you do, I respect you. Thanks for listening.
Friends, hello. I'm Mike Rignetta, the host of Never Post, a new and independent news podcast about and for the internet. In addition to bringing you the latest in current events, we try to figure out why the internet and the world because of the internet is the way it is. How did influencers destroy tween fashion? What is posting disease and how do you ensure you don't catch it? From what device must one send important emails? We talk about what's going on online and ask together why. Why are we like this? Find Never Post wherever you get your podcasts.